0: This is the Think LA podcast from Los Angeles, the center of advertising, marketing, and media. Thank you for joining us. This is part two of our industry accelerator series, Diversifying the Talent Search, and this episode is for hiring managers. If you missed the first part, you can catch it here on our podcast, and you can also see the video of the discussion on our YouTube channel at youtubecom thinkla. Our brilliant speakers for this session include Danny Allen, Senior Director, Talent and HR Operations for Walton Isaacson, Shari Holly, Director of Operations for Pipelines, Rihanna Johnson, VP, Director of Marketing and Business for RPA, and our moderator is Lincoln Stevens, CEO and co-founder of the Marcus Graham Project. Our host for this episode is Andrea Green, Operations Manager for Think LA.
1: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to part two of our Industry Accelerator webinar series on diversifying the talent search. I'm Andrea Green. Operations Manager with ThinkLA, and also a member of our Diversity, Inclusion, and Gender Committee. We're so happy that you could join us today with this great panel. I have just a few announcements before we begin our discussion. Check out our website at thinkla.org to register for upcoming webinars, events, and great membership information. Our ThinkLA podcast is now up and running. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pocket Casts. Be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter for lots of great articles and resources. Today, in the second part of our two-part series, we'll be focusing on how companies can diversify the hiring process from recruiting to promotion while still creating and maintaining a culture of inclusion for employees. Here are a few of our other great upcoming webinars as well. On September 3rd, we'll be hosting another great Connections & Cocktail virtual network mixer with host Autumn White EVP of Digital at Horizon Media. It's going to be such a great way to meet new people or reconnect with industry friends you haven't seen in a while. Our next professional development class will be on September 16th, and it's called How to Negotiate Anything. It's such a great way to sharpen or refresh your negotiation skills. It's going to be a good one. And also join us on September 22nd for She Sweeten Color. It's gonna be great. We're gonna have an empowering discussion on how women of color in leadership positions are really navigating the marketing and advertising industries with unapologetic passion and grace and understanding how to create space and professional cultures that are lacking in diversity. And on September 29th, as part of our Dig Safe Space series, Think Alley is going to host a town hall style discussion, as well as a virtual screening of the film Suppressed 2020, The Fight to Vote a short but powerful documentary about the growing threat of voter suppression to our 2020 presidential election. Learn how millions of votes are at stake and why it's so important to vote. We hope to see you or have you be a part of many of these webinars. Now, joining us today for our talk are Lincoln Stevens, co-founder and chairman of the Marcus Graham Project, Danny Allen, Senior Director of Talent Management and HR Operations at Walton Isaacson, Shari Holly, Director of Operations at Pipeline Mobile, and Rihanna Johnson, VP Director of Marketing and Business Development at RPA. So as you listen to these great speakers today, please submit your questions at any time during this session via the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen. We're going to try to address as many as we can towards the end of the session. So let's get started with our moderator, Lincoln Stevens. Welcome, Lincoln.
2: Hello, how are you?
1: Good, good to have you today. Thank you.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us all. Well, Absolutely. Incredibly excited about this conversation um, uh, that we're going to be having today, and excited to be uh, joined uh, in this conversation about diversifying talent. Uh, excited to be joined by some amazingly talented individuals, um, that I've, uh, most of which that I've had the opportunity to know over the years. Uh, and they're going to be leading uh, us all in a conversation um, that uh, is going to be timely and poignant, offer solutions, um, but also not, uh, but also unafraid to kind of uh, go into some topics that we haven't heard uh, mentioned as, as much but are necessary, right? So uh, we'd love to kick us off. Um, thanks for the introduction, Andrea, um, but if everyone could get a chance to know each uh, one of you, uh, amazing women, a little bit more, would love to know what got you interested in this advertising and media space, or in the space of talent? Uh, what got you interested, and why are you still here? Is the, is the is the biggest question?
3: Um, I will start. This is Danny Allen for those of you who I, I've not had the pleasure of meeting before. Um, I kind of lucked into this job. Um, I lucked into my role uh, as an advocate of people, as a, uh, a talent and culture curator, and, and it was for my love of talking. <laughs> I have never met a stranger. I am my grandfather's daughter and he was exactly that same way. Every person he had a chance to meet, he was just curious, naturally, about them as individuals. And I uh, sort of possessed that that same curiosity. and found my way through management consulting, um, working my way up from a receptionist to uh, a recruiter within the management consulting field. Um, There weren't a lot of people that looked like me. And this was my opportunity to showcase um, a little black girl magic in a place that wasn't readily readily obvious. And I fell in love with the hunt. I fell in love with um, uh, the storytelling. I fell in love with people's individual goals and curiosities and uh, I still follow those same mantras and that that same um, uh, verve for the relationship aspect of what we do so that's why I'm here um, it's why I'm still here and why I continue to love what I'm doing
2: awesome thanks Danny um, oh, the, I can are,
4: go Oh, Brianna. Sorry. <laughs> so my name is Shari, and I actually do not work for an agency. I actually work for a a platform called Pipelines. Um, it was founded by Pretty Bird, which is actually a, a reputable production company here and in the UK. So I come from the entertainment production world, but more particularly, we are building a platform that is going to be a useful go-to tool for companies to um, really change and reform their hiring practices and their work cultures and also break down the barrier of entry for underrepresented talent to connect to these industries so i'm I'm offering a little bit of a different perspective but i'm just a little background for me i'm from detroit and i did not grow up with any black women or black people pursuing their own businesses or going into entertainment i didn't even know what creative was or that i was a creative until i moved away to chicago and started working for the tribune and that's when my government dream went down the drain. And I was like, I want to do this. Like, this is what I want to do. So DNI is a very personal issue for me, um, not because, only because I'm black, but because I see myself in a lot of the demographics that I serve, because I know the benefits of having mentors and having exposure. So I really come from a personal place in my work because I did not have the exposure or the mentorship or the accessibility. Um, Growing up it took me getting a job at the Tribune and someone giving me a chance to for me to realize that this is where I belong So I really pull from a personal place with that and that's why I'm still here So I'm a hundred thousand percent committed to this on a personal level and a professional level and I'm always honored to be a part of the Conversation and always honored to be a part of the solution and not the problem. So that's why I'm here today
2: Awesome, thank you. Yeah,
4: well, I kind
5: of stumbled into agency world because I was in corporate marketing for about six years. I used to straighten my hair, and I was a completely different person. Um, I, When I went to college, I knew I wanted to study art, and uh, I waited for the counselor and was like, I want to I study art. And she was like, you need a job after this. So uh, <laughs> that kind of killed my dream of being an artist. So um, I went to the uh, Minority Advertising Training, uh, program when I was in school. And when I found out what the entry level salary was, I I didn't, I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to do it. So um, my friend of mine was working at Capital Records at the time and she was like, girl, you can answer the phones here and get more money than that. So I was like, okay. So I ended up being a receptionist um, at Capital Records. And then when I finally was like, I want to use my marketing degree is when I switched over to corporate marketing. And so um, I'm originally from LA but I lived in New York for a while and I stumbled upon an advertising agency when I was there only because it was it was a new business role. And because I had had a corporate background, um, new business is the most comparable to B2B marketing. And so that's how I ended up in the advertising space. And so um, I'm still here because I, I'm committed to being the demonstration to what I didn't see. Just like Shari, I didn't see a lot of women like myself, and I saw a lot of women telling me, "Girl, you got a good job. Keep answering their phones." And I didn't want to just do that, so I was like, wanted to challenge myself to do more and and to and, and and to lead. And so I always want to be the reflection of I want I want girls like me to know I'm here. So. If I'm doing it, I'm gonna do it for you. So that's why I'm still here.
2: Awesome. So, you know, a lot of uh, overlapping themes, definitely a lot of personal passion, uh, a couple of, I stumbled into this. uh, I don't think anything is coincidental necessarily uh, for us to have stumbled through life to now all find ourselves together um, on this call. Um, um, You know, definitely continued hearing about, um, you know, one thing, you know, Oftentimes they say you can't be what you can't see. Um, but despite um, not being able to see other people, other women, and other Black women that uh, reflected you in this business, um, um, you're here and and now and, and and leading. So you know when we think about the things that we're seeing, um, what what are your, what are your individual outlooks on you know sort of the industry? What you know all the things that are going on? What are the uh, um, you know new tools that people are using what are the new groups or resources that you see people perhaps going to or starting up that can be effective tools effective resources both for individuals that uh, are on the agency or company side they're looking to hire but also on the talent side of what what are what are some of the places for if you could talk to the uh, to the black women that are looking to see you where are the places that they could be?
3: Uh, uh, going to seek support. Um, I'm gonna jump in on this one. I belong to a group uh, that was started by Shannon Washington. I know some of you know her. She is a badass creative, um, has gone from LA to New York and back again, I think she's she's in New York now. But um, she started this group called Tony um, on Facebook. And it was really to give uh, a voice to those who feel underrepresented, but don't know where to go to look for opportunity. They don't know where to go uh, to ask questions about entry, points of entry. I think Shari speaks about this uh, uh, really poignantly. And I joined that group, not only as a way to like, okay, this is a a networking opportunity for me to hire people. I wanted them to know, you know, that someone is looking out for them. I think that, what I'm seeing in the marketplace and maybe what we're all starting to see is black women today, especially those that are fortunate uh, and have worked our asses off to get to these positions of leadership are starting our own groups. We're creating our own um, uh, networking collective and we are sharing information. We're sharing resources with one another because it's not readily out there for us or uh, the agencies um, from a broader perspective, uh, the entertainment companies, the tech and mobile companies They've left it with their HR function to try and figure out diversity and inclusion. I see that a lot, and a lot of times that is unconscious bias training, and that's supposed yeah. to solve the problem. Um, and what I'm starting to see is, and it's not just black women, black men too, starting these groups. Kenny Thacker and and you know 100 Roses from Concrete, when you, Marcus Graham Project, right? We're creating uh, uh, points of entry for our our youth, and um, I think this is going to be I want to say the wave of the future, but I think it's not. It's going to get bigger from here.
5: And, and just to echo that, uh, I, I think because I personally started a group called threes a Crowd for that exact reason. Of, I think for talent and it, for talent perspective, for for talent is the idea of owning ourselves and owning our our blackness. And I think what what happens is is that. We have a tendency for if, to to look for jobs and try to fit into those jobs versus finding places to support. No, you're good. There's nothing wrong with you, you know. So and so giving so setting up talent in a way to unapologetically be themselves is, I think, a lot of pl- a lot of these platforms are doing. And because I don't think the industry understands what it feels, what it means to um integrate or assimilate into a a structure that wasn't designed for you and mine you definitely need a support system and you definitely need a space to own yourself before going into these into these structures so i feel like a lot of talent is looking for that and need that and then i also think for the folks who are looking for talent they need to understand that and provide resources and and clarity around people who already work in their structures that they don't trust you. Black people don't trust these, 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 these settings and these structures. So the idea of thinking that we're, we're going to come into here and just automatically assimilate into this, this culture, it's, it's, not, it's not feasible. And so I think the, the understanding needs to be that both of those need to exist inside of an infrastructure as well as outside of one.
4: And I'll just add too, this is like the whole reason pipelines exist. <laughs> um, we're really less of a, another diversity program. I think we there are so many great programs and that's great, but we, we can all agree that we need we need some action and the, need, the needle needs to be moving a little faster than it is. So we really wanted to create a tool that's both for companies and for talent because I, I did a ton of focus groups just having really informal conversations with companies across tech and entertainment and creative so I could better understand what, what's going on? What are the real challenges? Because I personally don't agree with um, companies saying they can't find uh, this talent. That's that's a, just an excuse, and I feel like um, it's systemic. And a lot of times, companies just aren't willing to uh, revamp their practices because it's been working for decades. And it, it, you know, the system. Why why fix something that's not broken? Type mentality. And we really have to change that because. We cannot, be look, we cannot look at hiring underrepresented talent as a risk. I see that all the time. It really makes my blood boil when people say that, like, oh, I don't want to take the risk, but it took a risk on me, because you will never hear anybody, you'll know, you will never hear me say that, because I don't feel like hiring Shari is a risk. It's an asset, you know, and I feel that way about so many other Black talents. So we're, you know, really, how do we change the dialogue and how do we view hiring underrepresented talent as an asset and not a chance or a risk? So we really need to change that dialogue, number one, and number two, we have to, you know, times are different. Times have changed. And I you know I'm a college graduate, but we really, and I love, I'm an advocate for higher education, but we cannot assume that everybody has access to college. And, and you know, it's not even a feasible uh, goal for a lot of communities of color. So, you know, if we're pushing the narratives of having a BA to intern, Or if you're pushing the narratives of you have to have a four-year degree to be successful, then that leaves a whole slew of underrepresented talent feeling um, less than or feeling that they cannot succeed in these industries, if they don't have a piece of paper. And we really have to change that narrative because we're a skill-based, well, I know from entertainment, we're very skill-based. People want to work with people they like, that have great attitudes, and that can do the job and excel at the job. But if we're pushing the narrative that you have to go to college and have a master's and have a bachelor's degree, you're disqualifying so many So many great, talented people who could kill it. You know, if you just, if they were just giving the opportunity. So we wanted to create a tool that would help talent to connect to these industries in a way that doesn't feel intimidating, that they're not just being told to go to, uh, you know, SonyCareers.com and see what happens. And they can connect in a way that makes sense to them, but also creating an accessible tool for companies to really put their money where their mouth is and commit to really making a long term impact instead of just saying that they're about diversity, but really using a tool that's intentional about pipeline and diverse talent and really um, taking the initiatives to make sure there's intention in their hiring practices. So, it, just, just, sorry, sorry, Lincoln,
5: I'm, I'm sorry, don't, don't kill me. Um, uh, <laughs> just to add to that about tools, a tool only works as well as you allow the tool to work or what you put into the tool. So I think agencies and folks need to stop looking for what can I find? to do this versus let me sit back and figure out what I want what is it that I'm looking for how should I be attracting talent what do we stand for as an agency because you know you, you got to figure out who you are and what it is you want before a tool will do any good service to you you know so i think there's a disconnect when it's looking for for black talent of like tell me tell me what i should be doing versus what is it that i want and how can I then support and find Black talent that fit with what I'm actually looking
1: for?
3: I, I agree with that 100%. And I also want to piggyback on something both of you said. Um, when you're looking at the industry and the market, and we hear there's a war for talent, there's a shortage of talent, to Shari's point and to point, the, the one, that's, that's a misnomer, it's not true. Right. Um, because I can, pull up, I can just pull up in LinkedIn and find talent if I right. truly... Um, Just wanted to simplify it and distill it down to its barest essence. What happens behind the scenes, though, is the top-down approach also has to buy into the fact that it's not us finding that one special person who fits our culture. It's breaking the culture. It's re-engineering that culture. It is changing and reshaping what that culture is so that those sharis, those Rihanna's that are out there, those Lincolns that are out there. Can add value to the culture. They can come in and they can enhance the culture. So I think it's a mind shift. It's a mindset shift that has to go on from the from the top down before you really even start to to bring in uh, those individuals. Because once you get them there, then what? You know, you got to ask the question. Now, what do we do?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think part, part two, part of that, and we'd love for we all to expound on this a little bit. Um, we talked about like it's uh, really you talked about it's not. Just about having the tool, it's about how you utilize it. Uh, and, to, and it's also about how you su- support it um, at, as well. And I think as we talk about dismantling sort of a system and building new systems, we've identified that individuals like Shannon, who's dope, she's on our board, uh, created Tony and Kenny and even our organization. I think uh, until this moment, you know, we've created these spaces uh, and by and large, agencies, or at least speak for our perspective, agencies and companies have come to us with the expectation that they, they could come and not do the job that they're paid to do, and then therefore treat us like charity and expect us to just give talent over, right? So um, can we talk a little bit about where the responsibility lies, how deeper the responsibility lies in recruiters, decision makers, and how they utilize programs or partner with programs? and what the new normal is going to be in what support and partnership looks like. Is the new normal going to be um, treating this as uh, charity or is the new normal going to be treating this as a true business imperative from you perspective?
5: Well, that, that goes into what, what Shari was saying about risk versus asset. And so if the perception of bringing in black talent is I'm taking a risk because somewhere I believe that they are less than or not ready, or I have to, groom. I've heard this in my career, um, I got to groom you up. And I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? So um, not in my current job, no shade to my new job, I'm just saying that, I know y'all listening. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm saying that to say that somewhere there's a, a value, a lack of value for, for Black talent. And so, because of all these grassroots initiatives, because no one is really owning it in that way, it it comes across as I'm doing a favor versus I'm actually getting a real asset for it. You know, if you look at the narrative of when you bring in people who are not black or just just white talent in general, the perception of this person's gonna do a great job, or you know, it, it's 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 an inherent thing that has to change before I go into my soapbox. But something has to change with how we see talent and how we value it versus it feeling like uh, a charity case or a mandate in a sense.
2: Yeah. Anyone else want to respond to that?
4: I do. Um, also, too, to your point about the organizations, um, look, there are so many great nonprofit organizations out there, like the Ghetto Film Schools and the you know, Brick LA, Reach LA, they're fighting a the good fight and really um, Putting, you know, really, really honing in on d- developing, supporting, and mentoring uh, POC talent and Black talent, but they don't get the mentorship, the support, or the finance, the finances that they need to really take that um, even further. And then furthermore, companies don't even care to seek out these organizations. And we have over 16 nonprofit organizations across LA and New York alone. And I didn't know a third of them before I started working at Pipeline. So, and I'm pretty sure there's many more, but saying that to say that those could be great Recruitment tools. They gra- these these students and talent graduate out of these programs and they enter the workforce and then they're just in this cloud waiting to you know waiting to see where the opportunity to mentorship is and those are great ways that companies could be plugging in and donating and supporting as they need it, you know. So it's really about for me the mentorship. Um, for me, I feel like there's not a, I've I've been a benefactor of mentorship and I owe my career to my to my mentor, but there's not enough. Black people or people of color getting to the top and extending their their hand down to help others, you know, and and a great way to do that would be through these nonprofit organizations. So I would challenge, um, I guess, as another, you know, tool or opportunity, look for these nonprofit organizations in your industry, there's lots of them in your industry, and support them and donate, do a panel, a guest speaker, like mentor, provide networking opportunities. We need that. And that's just as... Uh, beneficial as using any other tools such as pipelines and etc and it'll also be a great way to freshen up your pool of talent as well because they have working alumni who are looking for jobs but they're just you know having the same issues of figuring out where to look where to go who to connect with so I just wanted to put that out there and then to your point Lincoln I definitely think um, you know in the spirit of transparency pipeline started off as a 501c3 and I remember having this conversation and they were like, "Why? Why are you a nonprofit organization? Like, I feel like with, with what you're doing, you need investment, money, and power, not charity." And it really, a light bulb went off, and I was like, "Not to, you know, not to throw shade on other nonprofit organizations, but particularly for what we're doing, they were right. We need, we need to stop viewing diversity and inclusion as a, a, a charity. Situation. Oh, this, this would be nice if I could just get a tax write-off or you know, just donate. No, we need, we need power. We need investment. We need money." Um, to really move this thing forward. And that's just, just where I've been with the conversations that I've had. We need to really change, like you said, Danny, like it needs to be a mind shift and stop looking at this as a a charity or a nice thing to do. This is crucial. It's really crucial. So I just wanted to put that out there.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think that there are a number of companies, agencies and and brands that have made commitments and in investing in Black-led and run and founded organizations and businesses. So I think um, we should all... Uh, sure to just make sure to hold those companies accountable uh, and learn uh, about the timing and learn about the criteria for all those things. Uh, we find ourselves in a lot of conversations where where um, the intent to do that, the intent to invest, is there, um, but uh, but companies have tended to invest more in their trip to Cannes um, than or or, um, or award shows than they have. And I think the beautiful thing uh, about, and the poetry about this year of everything being canceled is hopefully the reevaluation of priorities. Hopefully we'll reevaluate our priorities and reevaluate it from a pocketbook perspective because a certain aspect of this is is about economics, uh, right? And so as we talk about economics too, one of the things that we, uh, I haven't heard as much uh, discussed is, as we talk about dismantling systems, as we talk about systemic racism, there is no conversation about systemic racism without talking about uh, economic equality and economic justice. And so would love to learn and see uh, what you all are seeing and experiencing perhaps, um, and how this moment in time has shifted um, for the good or for the not so good, the conversation uh, about it. Danny, I know that you uh, uh, work for a very prominent uh, multicultural uh, agency that I used to work for as well um, and uh, would just love to learn a little bit more about how you think this monument time has uh, has affected uh, the landscape of minority-owned agencies and and vendors and so forth.
3: I think through um the illumination of what's been happening systemically, both socially and obviously uh, within our own industries uh, of advertising and, and entertainment. What has been readily, uh, I've used that word three times, let me find another word. What has been um, more apparent is the fact that a, uh, minority agencies, uh, multicultural agencies, when, when we're looking at our general market counterparts, Nine times out of 10, the general market counterparts are being paid, you know, three times. Their budgets are three times the size of ours. Yet we carry a lot of the work. We carry the bulk of the work. A lot of times our insights are the insights that feed some of the general market work. And a lot of times it is, um, you know, our creative and, and things like that that are, that are actually being highlighted. But we're working off of, you know, a fraction of the budget. And what you see when an Aaron Walton gets involved in these discussions, um, he's done a couple op-eds on this right now where he's talking about, it's time for brands uh, and it, it's also time for those agency partners to own up to that and and actually pay us what we're worth. And we're demanding it, uh, we, ha- we have to. I think this goes across, um, this cuts across many different thresholds. And I think that uh, if we are valuing ourselves and we're not getting the economic, uh, Parity. then we create our own table. We, 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 we continue to build in our own right. And those, those brands that want to work with us, they want to partner with us because they know one, get, their insights are true and um, they live the values, right? They live the mission, they, they'll find us. <laughs> they'll find us. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think you're gonna see more of that. I think there are more of our uh, people of color that are saying, well, you know what, if I'm, I don't have a seat at the table. In my moment of leadership i'm going to create my own table
2: absolutely I mean I think one of the, one of the things that you talked about in terms of uh, economically beat from a parity perspective, you know we haven't a lot of conversations haven't grounded us in some of the things truly systemically that have happened, particularly in the space of um, uh, uh, equal pay from agencies perspective um, you know there the Um, The no urban dictate, no Spanish language dictate that existed in the 80s and 90s and persisted until 2012. For those of you that are unfamiliar, um, the media companies used to put inside of their RFPs to not buy black radio or TV, to not buy Spanish language radio or TV. It's estimated that based upon that, that $200 million a year. Uh, was lost in revenue because of those practices. And it didn't become until 2013 that the FCC actually made it, uh, put out a memorandum that that would be illegal. Um, and so you still saw after that a little bit of the fallout. So, you know, mention that to talk about how deep and how heavy uh, and how systemic a lot of the challenges that we're facing. Uh, and I know that many of you that are uh, working at companies uh, probably find yourselves sitting on a panel or sitting sitting in, um, uh, in new committees that are being formed and, and that's gotta be pretty taxing. And so we'd love to shift the conversation a little bit to you know, how are you taking care of yourself and what should we be doing um, to, to try to restore our energy? That was my prayer all this morning, energy restoration, God, please, energy restoration because uh, we've, we, I, can, I think we can all agree, we've spent a lot of time over the last few months and doing the work of a problem that we did not create. So how are you bouncing back? How are each one of you taking care of yourselves? would love to learn uh, and and share a little bit more about that.
4: Um, Me personally, I am learning when to say no. (laughs) Because um, I I can't speak for the others, but that's something that, not that I struggle with, but especially in my own um, experience with my peers and my colleagues, and in my line of work, um, and because this whole BLM movement is, is really moving at a, a very fast pace, I've been hit up quite a few times, you know, for things that are outside of the scope of my job. And you really have to, you know, to I think Danny mentioned earlier, you know, you want to obviously be, you know, you want to educate, take opportunities to make sure that you're sharing your own personal experience, but at the same time, mental health in the black community, which is a whole other conversation, um, we need to be making that our absolute number one priority. My mental health is my number one priority before my job. Because if my mental health is, and, and often you see it flipped, like people, it's like job, family, mental health is like third or fourth or fifth, but it really needs to be number one. So the very first thing that I do when I wake up is, um, I mean, I'm very spiritual, so I, I thank God, you know, for everything that I have, you know, operating from a space of gratitude and always keeping gratitude at the forefront and also learning when to say no. If it's overextending, if I am unable to do it, then just learning how to politely decline or just say no with no buts. So, um, <laughs> so that's what I've been doing personally—just operating from a space of gratitude, um, meditating, and really making sure that mental health is absolute number one before anything and everything. Um, that I'm taking care of my headspace first.
2: Mm. No is a full sentence.
3: Full
4: <laughs> sentence.
2: <laughs> he said
3: it. I, I want to piggyback off of that because I, as a, you know, a, a, a people officer, a, a manager of people. Uh, one of the number one questions in this time of COVID and quarantining is I'm going crazy. I'm in my, you know, my apartment, I'm in my house. My kids are two feet away from me. As you guys heard, my husband was doing dishes earlier. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and you might be on a conference call and there seems to be no break or no space between, um, you know, our day-to-day lives. Everything is sort of collided into one. And so I'm encouraging my staff and I have to remind myself to build in time for me, to build in time for you, whether it's just to eat a sandwich by yourself on your stoop or to walk around your block three times, whatever it is, build it into your calendar every day. That is my time. No one else can take that time um, because it's necessary. And I think that we are finding people, you know, at their breaking point because of the weight of what's happening socially. Uh, you can't even turn on the news. You can't turn the TV on. You can't go to your, your social media and, and not hear about what's happening socially. And that for black people, we bring that to work, right? Because we we bring our whole selves to work. And that is a part of our journey. It's a part of our experience. It's a part of our daily lives. And we're asked to put on a smile and actually perform. And, you know, it, it is, Without having the understanding of the weight of our skin, the weight of our presence, the weight of um, systemically what has happened, I think companies miss the mark when they're not preparing to um, respond in kind and give that space and give that uh, give those breaks, give that uh, flexibility to their their uh, employees. It's it's necessary. We absolutely have to have it.
5: Well. Um yes yes and yes to everything <laughs> i have an altar in my hallway i burn my sage i do a whole bunch of stuff. but for me i have all these conversations to me are black america in this conversation they go together for me and so it's like the idea of of being involved in my community is is what's been keeping me together yeah and I started probably about a year and a half ago, a community garden in my in my neighborhood, and whenever something happens like it's it is it has turned into something where we give tomatoes away, we give eggplants away, we give cucumbers away, and it has turned into something where everybody's been sort of protecting it and people look forward to what well, we grow you know and it just it just has turned into something that I didn't realize how much it was feeding me and i only bring that up because the more that i have these conversations the more i have other conversations in my community that has been feeding me a lot and and almost to the point of like what you were saying uh, danny about coming in our with our full selves to work and the idea of black people having these conversations now with with white people it it can go from, you can ebb and flow throughout these conversations, where at one point it's kind of like, I've been knowing this for a long time. And then the other part of it is just like, okay, this is a moment to actually do something with it. And then how do I take care of myself within all of that that's happening? So I, I honestly think what you said about walking around the block, being invested in the, in the community is, is really, it's, it's feeding me and keeping me sane. To see little girls who want to, you know, cut strawberries together and, you know, do do little things together. It feeds me. Yeah.
2: And, and, and I bring that up because it's so incredibly important. We haven't seen what the post-traumatic stress of this time is going to do. And I think that um, that level of empathy and understanding uh, uh, recruiters and hiring managers should try to start internalizing a little bit more uh, uh, at this time um, to make sure that there's not sort of uh, another layer of microaggression attached to someone's, yeah, I'm showing up to work as my full self, especially when we come back in person. And yeah, I don't feel like smiling today, or I don't feel like talking at happy hour at lunch, but that doesn't mean I'm engaged. I mean, we've had uh, alumni and divisions in our program that have said, hey, you know, they've had someone say, hey, why aren't you, you know, what was wrong today? Do you not want to be here? I mean, do you not, are you happy in your position? and it's like you know oh did you not turn on the news (laughs) did you not see all of these types of things i mean we come into this world um with with post-traumatic stress in our blood any any group of people that have been in a in a diaspora that has been tormented are born into this world with with a weight and so i think hopefully we, we're, we're seeing people having a little bit more empathy and understanding and understanding what that means into not just the hiring process, but particularly the retention, right? And particularly, you know, individuals that have stacked on responsibilities of parenthood and families and all these types of things, you know, showing up as your full self might mean showing up and, and being a little bit more reserved to protect your heart space and so forth. So thanks for all the tips um, that, that y'all shared on, on what you're doing. Any resources that you'd like to point out that uh, people can perhaps go to? And we have five minutes until Q&A.
5: Oh, God.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I should have been a little bit more imp- I should have been more, I love even, that. <laughs> even though that's, that's right on. I have my prayer oil right here, right? So like. Uh, I, what I meant to say, or meant to expand upon, any uh, resources where perhaps um, um, hiring managers and recruiters can go to to learn a little bit more about uh, a, a little bit more about how to um, uh, increase the level of uh, empathy for um, for all different um, varying and varied uh, types of challenges when it comes to people management.
3: I, you know, honestly. Th- there's workbooks, right? You could, I see a lot of these companies um, doing unconscious bias training or some type of a diversity and inclusion training, and I think it's necessary, but how are we managing and or measuring the efficacy of these programs, right? What happens after I've sat in an hour class? So there's workbooks like anti-racism in the workforce, uh, Um, I think Kendi has a a workbook specifically geared around that, and and it's an ongoing thing, right? You can do a little bit at a time, so it's always a topic of conversation, and I think the follow-up to that is understanding where the people that are currently in your existing workforce, what are they really feeling? Because What you don't want is a LinkedIn debacle, right? Where you're you're opening up these town halls and you're letting people express themselves, and we we're asked to bear our souls as to what what's happening in society and how is it affecting you at work and how do you feel about your coworkers, and meanwhile you've got these other coworkers who are sitting there looking at you going you're just a victim you're complaining, right? So you can. You can utilize these resources like um, the, the anti-racism workbook, but I also think companies need to really research who's working for them and understand if they're going to change their culture, it starts from within. It's not my job to change your culture. It is, um, it's actually not my job to provide you the resources. The want has to be there, and then um, I can help you inf- inform the want and the drive, but I can't change that for you. So they have to do the work. And there's yeah. a lot of information out there. I could give you a list of books to go look at. I could give you a list of programs and people who are doing this on a regular basis coming in and making money coming into these organizations and doing sessions. But at the end of the day, how are you measuring that? How are you measuring the success?
2: Yeah. And you could give it, but there's also this thing called Google. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to look. Yes. I mean, We seem to find solutions for so many other things and we come and I, I find that companies, um, tend to not be able to find as many when it comes to these, which are often hard and challenging conversations, right? Um, but, there's a, but there's a myriad of things out there. Uh, if you're on and you have a question, make sure to drop it in the q and uh, I think we do have one question here. Google and other tech companies have started to forego uh, college degree requirements. So how do we really get the message across to agencies that a college degree is not an indicator of skill or potential, partic- particularly for under- Represented talent, but I would think that that question um, that you know is the same for for, for any given person
5: I was just gonna I think I think agencies again have to get clear about what it is they want because You can pull out the list of stuff that you say like that you're used to asking for but until you can get very clear about what you are and how you how black talent can benefit your your leadership or your organization then and not just to say you know they have a different point of view or you know they in that way but um until you can get clear about that then you're going to keep defaulting to the idea of well if it's not that you know then what, what what is it then so i think before getting the message out there as to like no college degrees, I think getting very clear internally about how do you want this talent to integrate? And how do you want this talent to, to influence your new culture, um, your new system that you're putting in place? So.
4: You took the words right out of my mouth, girl. <laughs> I was going to say that same, that same exact thing. I mean, really, really sit down and take those outdated job responsibilities and really go through line by line because I bet you uh, half of those don't really reflect what you really, really need for that role. And understand that um, per, like personality to be honest, in the spirit of transparency has gotten me my last three jobs. They didn't even look at my resume because they knew I was hungry, I was passionate and that I would do the job. So we just need to understand too that soft skills and personality are, are just as important as experience. So just because someone doesn't have the, the 15,000 years of experience that you're asking for, there's other assets that they can bring to the table. So um, just piggybacking off what Rihanna said, it really needs to be a, a cultural reset really, like a mind shift and you really need to spend the time uh, internally and go through dust off those job responsibilities that you keep just posting up there and really go through line by line and figure out is this really what we're looking for because that's the only way you're going to attract genuine talent because I can guarantee you most of them as soon as they see that you want someone with 25 years experience and if they don't have it they're not going to apply therefore you're not going to get the get that talent and you just lost out on someone great because um, they thought they needed two decades of experience for this role so I would just challenge you to do that internally with your teams.
1: Thank you for that. Um, you guys, this is, was a great answer, Shari. I know we've talked about that question before too. And you definitely said it's definitely about the talent and not about the age. So that all works into that same thing. You know, if you're talented, you know, apply, do what you need to do to get out there. That's the main thing. If you got the talent, you know, it's going to shine through, and it's super important. So you guys are great. I do have another quick question for you all though. Um, You mentioned Shari earlier about um, mentors, talking to people about that. Do you guys, any of you have any information that you can impart to some of our, you know, participants today about how do we find those mentors? What do we do? What are some of those avenues to help us along this journey? What do do we do? Where do we go?
4: I will say, well, I'll speak to the how do we find mentees first. I know finding mentors, you really want it to be organic, but I'll just reiterate my last point. There are so many emerging talent, dope emerging talent, students, alumni, uh, that come out of that pipeline out of these nonprofit organizations who really are seeking mentorship. Um, But it takes, again, accountability on the company's part to actually do the work to find those organizations and then reach out to them to see how they can plug in because I can tell you they're there and they will be more than happy to have you uh, spend some time with uh, their graduates and their alumni and it really does make a difference. Um, I, I always like to use a mantra, we should be reservoirs and not dams. It should never stop with us. So everything that I, all the information that I receive, all the mentorship that I receive, um, it doesn't stop with me. I should always be passing that information along to uh, especially other people who look like me, other women of color or other black women, um, is passing that knowledge along to them. So just having the just making sure that when you, and neither, no one has arrived. So let's just get that straight. No one has arrived. But once we are in a position to pass along that knowledge or that mentorship, we should be doing that. But we, to Danny's point, we have to hold ourselves accountable and make sure that we're putting in the work to reach out and hit up, you know, Ghetto Film school or organizations that focus on the agency world or production, et cetera. And then plugging in and asking them, how can I become a mentor? And they will gladly plug you in. So. I, I would love for you, and if you need resources, I have over 60 nonprofit organizations who would love mentors. Feel free to email me, and I can, I can connect you, but there are resources out there. We just have to do the work to find them.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. And I'd just like to add, too, that Think LA also has a mentorship program, so you know you can definitely find some information out through us as well, but thank you for that. Did anybody else have any other thing they'd like to add to that?
3: I'm just saying ditto. Ditto to everything she said. <laughs>
1: I like it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I did have something else I'd like to ask. You know, we do have some, some companies that are here today with us as participants. And if there's anything that you would say, this is a tangible thing that you can do today, like one, two, three, these are the three things you can do to really help to diversify the talent pool or, you know, in your workplace or what you need to do. Because some people want to know, how do I get started? How do I do this? If you had something that you can say, okay, start here. It doesn't have to be something overwhelming, but this is something that you can do to help at your company. What would you all suggest? Maybe Danny. Um, I,
3: I would suggest research. I, I, I think you have to research, to, and I think everyone on the panel has spoken uh, about doing the work and where do you you know getting started. I think fear is a factor for a lot of people. It's, it's overwhelming. It's, There's many layers to this. It's very complex, but you have to research your own company's history. I know that sounds crazy, but look at your diversity slates if you have them at all. Look at your hiring metrics. Look at where you're hiring sources. Where are you pulling people from? Because that's one avenue that you can go down to say, you know what, we need to make some shifts here. The other, I think, is also committing to um, looking at alternative resourcing. Uh, Am I looking at HBCUs? Am I looking at programs like pipelines, am I looking at, you know, Three's a Crowd, am I looking at Marcus Graham Project, we need to start investigating those, those areas. So it's, it's research, that's, that's the first thing you can do. And I, I think that's the easiest thing to do. It's overwhelming. But if you just start with, well, let's just take a look at our hiring practices over the last five to 10 years, and you, th- those pictures begin to emerge pretty quickly. So that, to me, is, is number one. I can we start with you? Super important. Thank you for that. I'll
5: give a a little example of look at it like dating. Look at it like like before you go out and you want to get married, you want you start dating, you gotta be clear about who you are, you gotta be clear about what you want. You gotta go to the places that will meet the people that you are trying to attract. So start investing in these black communities, you know, versus waiting for a list to show up. So if you're looking for a certain type or because you're clear about what it is you're looking for, then you're more likely to find that type because of the level of clarity and intention you have around it. So start investing in being in those it being in being those rooms where it's a predominantly Black audience, being at city council meetings, meeting people, seeing what is going on in these communities, like what, what's happening. So I would say invest in the communities and don't look at it in a very linear way of i'm looking for i have to only go to talent places to find talent when i can be in different places within the community to find to find what i'm actually looking for because i'm clear about what i'm looking for so i would use it and i would use the dating analogy
3: i actually want to piggyback off of that because i think it's great when i was first learning recruiting this is before i'm gonna date myself a little bit but before the days of like CareerBuilder and monster.com where you're, you just had a phone book and you had to call companies and cold call. Um, it was really about honing in on what made, me, um, what made me tick. And what made me tick was meeting people. I had to get out. Where are tech people hanging out? Coffee houses, talking to folks on the subway, going into libraries and putting, you know, Barnes and Noble and putting my business card and all the Java books that I could find. I mean, it, is, it was really boots on the ground. So I think to Rihanna's point, it is getting into the community and understanding what's making these people tick At talking to people, just talking to people. But that's, you know, and it also correlates with researching. What do I want? Who are we? Who have we been and how? Wh- where are we trying to go with this? So not just checking a box and hiring a, f- a few Black folks and now your work is done. It is, what do we really want to get out of this?
4: I also really want wow, That was great.
1: Sorry. I appreciated
3: really-
4: that. Really, really quickly, I just wanna piggyback off of Danny's point um, to the, and, and shift the focus, because yes, obviously we want, we're all working to pipeline more of POC and black talent to these industries, but also you need to do the work that to figure out, like once they get there, how are we supporting them? I just wanna, I know that came up a few times, but I just wanna reiterate again, um, once you hire that diverse talent, that black you know producer or you know, a Latino intern or whatever, how are you supporting them? Like specifically, have meetings with their team that out what do we need to do to make sure that when they enter our company and they show up every day that they feel supported, that they feel heard, that they feel included because that, you know, I hate to even say DNI or diversity and inclusion, but it's really about the inclusion piece. You can hire all the Black people in the world, but once they get there, if they don't feel supported and you're, you know, retaining them or making sure you're hearing them or including them in the conversation, then your efforts really don't matter. So um, inclusion is, it's diversity is nothing without the I part so I would shift my focus to focus more on the inclusion piece even more so than getting diversity people through the door like how they're supported once they get there yeah
1: you hit on a very important topic that retention part it's so important you're so right about that Shari. because yeah you're in the door but how do you keep your people what do you do so that is an important topic so thank you for for bringing that out to everybody I appreciate that Lincoln, did you have any more questions for the rest
2: of our panel? Uh, no, no more, uh, no more questions. I don't think I don't think we've had time to to answer okay. it. Um, but just to okay. kind of uh, to kind of recap each each section, the things that we talked about, you know, they actually had a song that went to them to each section. So I'm going to give you the song, and maybe you can make a little soundtrack. So the first one uh, about what are some of your reasons why you got in was a few of my favorite things. I like the John Coltrane version, uh, the part where we talked about what are you doing in this moment of time, Strength, Courage and Wisdom by India Iree. uh, Economic Empowerment and Economic Equality, Let the Dollar Circulate by Billy, Billy Paul Williams. And last, Dismantling the System, let's go with Fight the Power by Public Enemy. And I love what uh, I think Danny said, Public Enemy number one and the power that we should absolutely be fighting is fear. So let's fight the power of fear and move in with the power that we have and love and courage and the sound mind. So that's all.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, that was pretty pretty dope. <laughs> this has been such an amazing and honest discussion um, for say, employees.
5: No, I was just gonna say I just have to say that that John Coltrane, with, that's the that's the best when he put that is yeah. best. Man. My son calls <laughs> to
2: sleep to it almost every night. Oh, He's that back. is He's awesome. like, Daddy,
4: can take a bath and put on top? Job-
2: <laughs> Hi, what that's
4: you know
1: about
3: this? <laughs> <laughs> that's, an old soul. that's an old soul right there that's i it. love it i love sorry, it this
1: sorry, is sorry just, to, me to interrupt you but that's you know that's okay because that's what we're doing here this is honest and it's real for everybody employees employers everybody it is all good and you know we're just talking about just having such amazing wisdom today from all of you all talking and just imparting such good information um you know Gratefulness and gratitude and wellness—they are so all key and persevering for us through all of this, you know, to get to a point where, you know, you said we haven't all made it yet, but we're on our journey, right? Making it, getting to that point, and so persevering through it all to get to that point. My goodness, thank you, thank you, guys. <laughs> this has been so good. Um, I appreciate all of you. I just need to wrap up a little bit with like a little update from some of the stuff that we talked about um, from our earlier announcement that one of our. Um, one of our events our Connections and Cocktails. It's been canceled for September 16th, but we are still so many other great um, virtual events that we're offering for you and to register for those and any of our other upcoming webinars and events, as well as learn some more about ThinkLA's mission to serve the community, check out our website. It's at thinkla.org and also our Diversity, Inclusion, and Gender page. It's also known as DIG. And you can find a lot of great resources there from things that we've talked about at uh, previous times and today. So that's a great page for us. Um, we're going to be sending out a survey after today so we really really rely on your feedback so please 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 respond let us know how we're doing let us know what you think of this amazing panel because this panel this panel somebody said badass it's a badass panel I just want to let you know that (laughs) it's amazing so I appreciate that Um, we're gonna send out those recap a recap with organizations and links and all that kind of stuff and thank you so much Lincoln and Danny and Shari and Rihanna and to our think LA staff um, for all the work and making this event possible you know and of course all our participants we appreciate you. Thank you, everyone. You guys take care. Be safe. Gratitude, gratefulness. Thank you so much, everybody. Take Thank care. You. Thank Bye. you. Right. Bye. Bye. Take
2: care.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. To find out more about our upcoming webinars and events, please go to thinkla.org. You'll also find information on membership and how we continue our mission of serving the Los Angeles advertising, marketing, and media community. Take care.